This is episode 161, a coaching call with Team Strength Running member Rose, a runner who hopes to keep improving at the marathon well into her 40s. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm Jason Fitzgerald, and I'll be your host today. Running has been a major part of my life for more than 20 years, and my goal with strength running is to help you avoid the mistakes that I made in my own career and give you the tools, strategies, and resources to accomplish all of your big goals, whether that's running your first race ever or completing every world marathon major or preventing your next injury or becoming a stronger, more coordinated athlete. I'm going to be bringing you the thought leaders in the running industry, the pro coaches, performance experts, elite runners, sports psychologists, physical therapists, and strength coaches who can give you new insights into how to train so you can keep improving. I want you to better understand running, to view knowledge as a competitive advantage, and to always have the tools to take your running to the next level. Because the more you understand the sport, the better decisions you'll make about your training. Don't miss our other 160 episodes of this podcast, our video channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning, or where it all began, strengthrunning.com, where you can find all of our training programs that help you prevent injuries, run faster, develop mental skills, or become a stronger, more powerful athlete. This episode is sponsored by electrolyte supplement company Elemental Labs. Their products have some of the highest sodium concentrations that you can find to help those who sweat a lot or those like me who happen to have very salty sweat. So if that sounds like you, or maybe you just need an excuse to drink more throughout the day, do check them out. My personal favorite flavor is the citrus salt, but you can see all of their flavors at drinklmnt.com dot com slash strength running that's drink dot com slash strength running our podcast episode today is a conversation with rose a member of our group coaching program team strength running we're currently open accepting new members and i don't want you to miss a bonus live event that i'm hosting for the team next week learn more about us and how you can join the most affordable running team online at strengthrunning.com slash join. My chat with Rose is about how she's going to keep improving at the marathon distance. She's been a consistent runner for decades, but at age 45, she now finds herself in a position where she has the time and drive to train more. So she's been on a tear over the last couple of years, improving her marathon from 410 to 341. But her all-time PR of 335 is from when she was just 25 years old. Can she run faster than her younger self did 20 years ago? What kind of training changes must happen for her to keep getting faster? And if that's possible, how long might it take? What kind of timeline is appropriate for a goal like this? That is our conversation today, and I think you can take lessons and ideas from this episode to help yourself keep improving over the coming years. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Team Strength Running teammate, Rose. Hey, Rose. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited. Yeah. Well, we're doing another coaching call here, and we were talking earlier about 
your goal to run a much faster marathon, to keep improving. So we're going to talk a little bit more about your training history and your background as a runner and some things that you can do to hopefully keep that improvement train running down the track so that you know each marathon that you run is hopefully a little bit faster than the last one. So thanks so much for making some time and, and putting yourself out there on the podcast. I so appreciate it. Um, now, what I wanted to do, Rose, was kind of divide our conversation today into three different sections. First, I want to talk about your background as a runner. So I get a good idea of how you got to today as a running athlete. And then we'll talk about kind of your, uh, your, your previous training history with the marathon, some recent race performances that you might have, the kind of training that you did to run those races, uh, to get the times that you have. And then we'll talk about your goal and how you can best accomplish that. So uh, I'm excited. I'm so excited for this. I love doing these. Uh, I think it's such an interesting format, not just for me, but I always get some great feedback from our listeners. So let's get started. Great. So let's talk a little bit more about, um, you know, your, your background. Who are you, Rose? Uh, maybe we can start with, you know, how long you've been running. Um, yeah, I've, I've been running since, uh, since I was a kid, I guess I started probably in, in junior high. Um, I've always loved running. Um, you know, I didn't, so I'm 45 years old now. I've, I've never, I didn't run in, in college or anything like that. I've always been, uh, an amateur runner, someone who just loves to run for fun. Um, I've done a number of marathons, um, and I guess my, uh, you know, training and, you know, level of intensity of, of running has waxed and waned over the years as I've, um, you know, gone to college, graduate school, and then established my career. So there's been, there've been ups and downs, but I, I would say I've always been a runner. Yeah, for sure. That, that seems to happen as, as we go through life. Um, so yeah, you've been running for 30 plus years. Uh, you certainly have uh, a rich history with the sport. Um, now let's talk about the last couple of years. Have the last couple of years been consistent? Have you been pushing the envelope with your training or has this been generally a time when maybe, you know, your training has fall by the wayside because of other things in your life? No, the past couple of years have been a revival and it, it all kind of started after, you know, I guess, um, you know, about in 2017, I was, 43 then and things had kind of evened out with with my career and how much time I could give to running and I felt like I had the mental energy and space to want to run more again and so I started training for the first marathon that I had done in a long time which was the Phoenix Rock and Roll Marathon I think that was in January of 2017 and that whole training um cycle and during the marathon, I was actually in a ton of pain, <laughs> which um, I mean, not not injury level pain, but it was running did not feel good and everything hurt. And um, like it was pretty excruciating during most of the marathon. And that was new to me. I had never, um, you know, I had always just loved running and I had never had any pain. And so that that got me really motivated to figure out what is going on, um, because I just didn't. I didn't, you know, I, I love running and I didn't want to, you know, run in pain um, anymore. And so it was really around some time right after the the Phoenix Marathon, I went to physical therapy 
And they actually told me to do all the things that I now do with you <laughs> through your programs. Um, but I didn't, I didn't do them consistently then because I didn't know how to integrate um, the physical therapy uh, into like my life as a runner and a training program, like a, you know, with weekly runs and doing the strength and mobility work. So it was sometime around then though, when I was trying to figure this out, like figure out why I was in pain that I found uh, strength running your program. And I started, um, I contacted you, I started doing high performance lifting um, and, and everything has changed. Like I have, I have my strength and mobility back. And, and I would say, I think now that I can be really confident that, that the reason I was in pain is because I had lost strength and mobility because looking back on it during that 2017 um, training cycle for that marathon, I was nicking my ankles a lot as I ran and I was stumbling um, over curves on a run. And that, again, you know, I had never done that before and I was noticing that I was doing that, but I wasn't really paying attention to it. And so in hindsight to me, like I'm not doing that anymore. And it's like I was clearly in pain or and I had lost strength and mobility. That's what I mean. So anyway, so fast forward um, after that, I started um, doing high performance lifting and the mobility routines that you have. And then I ran um, uh, a marathon at altitude in uh, 2018 and I ran a 350, which I should say that uh, the Phoenix rock and roll, I was in pain and I also ran a 410, which again is fine. Um, But uh, the thing about it was just, I was in so much pain. So you know, then I started doing the strength and um, mobility work. I cut off 20 minutes in 2018. And then um, this past December, so almost a year ago, I ran California International Marathon and I ran like a 341. So, All right. so age, you know, in my 40s, I cut off almost or about 30 minutes. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, quite a testament to the value of, of just training appropriately, you know, yes. looking at, <laughs> yes. you know, what, what your weaknesses are, where you need to get stronger and hearing you say how, you know, your, your feet, your legs were knocking together and you're stumbling on curves. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of a coordination problem that's stemming likely from either an imbalance or a weakness higher up the chain, probably in the glutes or hips. And no doubt that the mobility work and all the strength training that you've been doing has been done a great job at, at addressing some of those problems clearly because you're not having them anymore. Um, now, when you ran the Phoenix Marathon, you ran 410. And then uh, in 2018, a little over a year later, you ran 350. And then in 2019, you took another nine minutes off your previous time and ran 341. Now, is that 341, is that your, your all-time personal best in the marathon distance? No. Um, so almost 20 years ago, when I was obviously much run uh, younger, I ran a 335 in Boston. Oh, okay. <laughs> and but and and I, um, you know, I was much younger, but I also had no idea what I was doing. Um, I didn't really have a training program. It was only my third marathon. My second one, I qualified for Boston and I didn't even know what that was. Um, I was coming into the finish line and people were saying you qualified for Boston. I was like, what's that? So, (laughs) (laughs) so, so yeah, so I have run faster and, and I guess that's, that's where I'm at now. Like I'm at a place in my life where I can, 
um, put in some time to train. And I feel like now, thanks to you, I know how to train better. And it's like, I want to know what is, what can I do um, at this age anyway? Could I beat that time? Yeah, let's dive into that. Um, First, I want to talk a little bit about you know, at least just note the fact that you running 325 at Boston. Oh, when 335. You're younger, I ran a 335 in 335, Boston. I'm sorry. Yep. So 335 at Boston. Now, Boston's a hard course. So that's actually pretty great. And also, you know, you saying you didn't really know what you were doing, but you still ran 335, qualified for Boston and all that. Um, you know, that's actually a pretty good sign. You know, if your PR is from a period where you weren't training very well and you were simply taking advantage of, of your youth and <laughs> you know, the fact that you could recover really quickly and, you know, you're just more primed to physically perform at those ages. Um, you know, that tells me that you still have progress in front of you right now, you know, awesome. because I, I don't think you ever reached your potential. You know, if you trained really hard throughout your twenties, then maybe that 335 is representative of your potential. But that's not the case. I did not. Yeah. Now that you have the time, the drive, and the just the space in your life to really dedicate to more training, I think you could. I think you could run faster than your PR, uh, especially if you were strategic about the course as well and chose a faster course than Boston. You know, Boston is not a fast course. It is for the elite runners, but that's because they're working with a set of tools that you know us average Joes and Janes simply don't have. Yep, because um, they they don't they're not destroyed by the hills and you know those early downhills. It's just a very difficult course for a lot of various reasons. I um, remember so, that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. Um, so if you chose a flat and fast course, I think you could definitely get close. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that 341 that you ran. Uh, it was December of 2019 and. Uh, what what race was that? California International Marathon. So very fast course. Okay. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, look, you ran nine minutes faster than the race previous, which was 20 minutes faster than the race before it. Your improvement trend is clearly going in the right direction. And it's not like you're improving by a couple minutes a pop. You know, you improve by 20 minutes and then by nine minutes, you only have six more minutes to go, which is very encouraging in my mind. Um, now when you did run CIM last year, let's talk about the training that you did for CIM for that 341 marathon. Um, how long was the training cycle? What kind of weekly mileage levels are we talking about? And, you know, maybe how consistent you were with long runs. Yeah, well, I, um, I, I trained really well for that one. Actually, I was just trying to see if I could pull up my, um, training cycle here for it, but, um, I do have it roughly in front of me. So I think, um, you know, I used one of your marathon training plans. Um, My weekly mileage, I think, ranged from like um, low 30s to peaking at just under 50 miles per week. Um, My long runs um, peaked at, I think, 19 or 20 miles uh, in in distance. Um, And and I followed your program um, completely to the the letter. I didn't miss anything, so I was very consistent um, in that training plan. 
Okay, that's great. I mean, the consistency is fantastic. Do you have a long history with injuries? Is this something that you're dealing with maybe once or twice a year, some big injury that forces you off from running for a week or more? No, I have. Um, I'm. I don't seem to be too injury prone. Um, I don't. Um, you know, and, and looking back on that, I think I'm really lucky. I think maybe I was headed in that direction with losing strength and mobility, and maybe figured that out before it got there. But no, I don't. I don't seem to struggle with injuries. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Yes. Uh, so that's awesome. So th- I'm hearing some very encouraging things, which uh, should put you in a good mood. You should be a very uh, uh, encouraging for you. It should give you confidence to really go after another good training cycle so you can hopefully, uh, you know, if not improve on your 341, then maybe even improve upon your all-time PR. That's now, exciting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it sounds like your training was really good. And, you know, the next step is just thinking, you know, what are the next logical steps that we can take in your training that would elicit further fitness adaptations? You know, what's going to give you more endurance? What's going to get you faster? How do we improve your capacity for endurance through the training itself? Um, So it, it sounds like a big thing that you could do. And because the fact that you're not super injury prone, Uh, I know you're doing strength training and mobility work. So you're in this great position where, you know, if anyone is going to be aggressive with their training, it's someone like you. You don't have a long injury history. You're already doing some solid injury prevention work. And, you know, a lot of that is strength running. uh, I'm sorry, strength training. I have strength running on the brain here. But a big part of that, too, is just how your training is structured. And, you know, of course, I'm a little biased here. You're using my training plan. So I think your training is structured really well. Um, But for anyone listening who's not using one of my training plans, of course, you don't have to. You know, that is one of the biggest injury prevention uh, measures that you could implement in your training is simply sound training, logical, effective progressions of mileage, of long run distances, of workouts, and with enough recovery built into that as well. So you really have both sides of this puzzle piece, you know, nailed down. So I'm really excited to hear that. I think the number one thing that you could do is gradually over time, run more mileage. You know, you're, you're looking at improving upon a 20 year old PR of yours that you set when you were in your mid twenties. So I do think we should be a little aggressive. Um, if you were instead, instead of going from maybe like 30 to 50 miles, you could probably go from, you know, maybe 35 to 55 or be a little bit more aggressive and maybe vary that mileage from about 40 at the beginning of the cycle. And you could top out near 60 at the end of the cycle. And I think that is a reasonable increase in mileage from what you've been doing before. Uh, and just considering your injury history, it seems quite logical to me. That's really exciting. I mean, one, because I just love to run and, and I'm, I'm just in a place where I, 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 it's like, I, I love, I love doing the training. So, so I'd love to hear that. Now I want to talk about your long runs. Were any of your long runs, what I'll call quality long runs that included some marathon paced running in there? Yes. So, um, you know, according, uh, you know, following your schedule every, you know, it looks like three or so weeks, there was, um, uh, a long run that was like the last three or four or five miles at marathon pace. And, and that, 
seemed to really, really work for me. It was actually, I got to this point in, in the California International Marathon and without even thinking about it, um, like around mile 20 or 21, like I just took off and, and those last miles were much uh, faster than the, the rest of the pace. And it was like, it was like my brain or my body just knew what to do. So, um, I, I do, I do think that that, that, um, you know, happier or faster finish seems to work for me. So timeout Rose, you negative split that 341 marathon. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Even more good news. Um, Yeah. I mean, look, it is so hard to negative split a marathon for most people it's virtually impossible. And you'll, you'll primarily see it only with the pro runners, uh, again, because they're just playing with a whole different set of tools than we have. Um, but that always tells me that, you know, maybe you could have been a little bit more aggressive earlier in the marathon uh, with your pacing. Um, because if you're, you know, running the faster miles of the race, you know, for miles 23, 24, 25, th- that shows that you have a lot more in the tank. So it's just another helpful beneficial, encouraging, positive sign that I see about your history and your fitness level that lends even more weight to the idea that you could improve still by a lot. Um, So in regard to the long runs, I do think that, you know, maybe we could be, uh, we could do two things. Number one, we could be a little bit more consistent with the longer long runs. So You know, a lot of folks start their marathon training plans, whether it's 16, 18, 20 weeks, you know, with about a 10 or 11 mile long run. And every every week or two, it might build by a mile. You know, if you were to start your training plan comfortably running, you know, 14 or 15 miles, and then, you know, gradually build up to about the 20 mile distance. And then from there, you know, you can alternate with long runs that have some marathon pace work, you can maybe do uh, one or two over distance long runs where you're running a little bit longer than 20 miles. Um, you know, I, I think this is okay if you can handle it and you're not very injury prone, you're a Boston qualifier. So this is one of those things that, you know, is slightly more advanced, but I think is appropriate for someone like you. And so, you know, maybe once or twice during the training cycle, you run 21 or 22 miles. And so I think combined with the little bit of extra consistency combined with maybe a little bit more marathon pace work in some of your long runs, then, you know, we're we're taking some big steps in our long run progression at this point. And when it comes to the marathon, I think that's what's necessary to give you those adaptations so that you can reach that big goal of yours. Okay, great. Um, It certainly feels like for where I'm at right now, it feels like that's the right thing to, to do. Right. Yeah, I do think that's like the next logical step when it comes to your marathon training. Um, and, and then the other thing, too, is we should probably talk about other races, you know, the half marathon, the 5K, the 10K, because um, if you're not running equivalent times in those other events, it's just going to make running a faster marathon much, much harder. So, you know, even though the marathon is is what I'll call your primary objective, that's the thing that you really want to do sometime in the next couple of years you know, it does make sense to take, you know, one or two seasons off from the marathon every year and just focus on something else. You know, it's not like you're not gaining fitness. Running is running. Fitness is fitness. If you get super fast in the 5k, that is obviously going to help your marathon. Your speed ceiling has increased. You've simply 
uh, giving yourself a wider range of speed that's now available to you. And so if you layer on some endurance, theoretically, what you can do is hopefully maintain that faster speed for a little bit longer. So um, now when it comes to those distances, the 5K, the 10K, the half marathon, what are your recent PRs in those events? Yeah, I, so I haven't really, I haven't raced anything officially. Um, obviously, with with the race, I, I I had that scheduled this year. You know, listening to your podcast, I I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to try to do some five Ks and faster stuff this year. And obviously, it hasn't happened. Um, I did do like a little time trial on my own for a five K um, after a base training period this past winter. So I think my time trial was this past May. Or early June, and I ran about a seven-minute um, per mile pace in the 5K. Um, and then, you know, I I don't I really haven't I don't have any recent 10K or or half marathon um, data, um, other than of course as part of a, a marathon race. Um, I mean, in the past, again, when I was much younger, I I think I ran. Um, a fairly fast half marathon. Um, I think, I think it, it, I even ran something less than 140. Um, but you know, I, I say I think because back in when I was younger, I didn't really wear a watch or pay much attention, and it was before everything was online. But um, so, I'm yeah, I don't really have any good recent data for just a half marathon or just a 10k. Okay. Well, that doesn't mean that, you know, your goal is obviously uh, <laughs> unattainable or anything. Um, that 5K is right in line with what I would call an equivalent performance with a 335 marathon. Um, you know, a 335 in the marathon is is sort of like a 22-minute 5K, which I think is, is just over seven-minute pace Okay. Uh, for 3.1 miles. So I think one of the things that you could do to stack the deck in your favor and really give yourself every advantage here is uh, to run a little bit faster than the equivalent times to a 335 marathon in all these other distances. So in, in, in the 5k, you know, I'd love for you to run maybe 2130, but of course, faster is better. Uh, in <laughs> the 10k, you know, if you could get close to 45 flat, I think that would be fantastic. Uh, and then in the half marathon, you know, as close to 140 as you could go would would be great. And if you ran those times, you know, if you're someone, hey, I ran 2128, and then in the 10K I ran 4506, and my half marathon time is now, uh, you know, 141.10. I would say that okay, I can almost say that you are going to run about 335. Um, because, you know, they're all just kind of equivalent, you know, if, you know, it's kind of like an A student gets all A's in every single class and then they go take another class. It's like, well, you're kind of like an A student. So you're, you're probably going to do well in this class, no matter what. And you can expect the same level of performance in all these other distances as well. And I think that could be a great goal for you. Um, I know you haven't run a marathon this year. I know, you know, there's really are no marathons to be run this year. Uh, hopefully 2021 will be a little bit different. But um, now the good news with that, the small silver lining is that I do think it's a little bit easier to do virtual races or time trials at shorter distances than it is at the longer distances. You know, I, I did a bunch of virtual races earlier this year and 
you know, I did a half, I did a 10K and a 5K, but I wasn't going to touch the marathon distance. I'm not going to run 26.2 miles right. by myself as hard as I can <laughs> around town. That just doesn't sound very fun to me. Exactly. Um, but, you know, the shorter distances, like let's get after some speed, let's get fast. And if you can do that while maintaining a double digit long run, you know, maintaining mileage somewhere in the 40s, maybe, then I don't think you're losing any endurance whatsoever. And you are gaining so, so much. So that's, that's, um, can I ask a question about that? Um, oh, sure. So that's, I, that's, I mean, that's what, what I really wanted to ask is like, I, I, I had, you know, for, for mental sanity, I had decided to stay on, uh, my CIM training for this fall, even though I knew that the race would be canceled. Um, and of course it was, and, and that's fine. Um, and so, so I, I've been wondering, should I kind of pivot to, to training for a faster 5k or 10k, um, right now? Like, is that a better thing to do than to stay on the CIM training plan? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I think, the good news is that you have options. I don't think sticking with the training is a bad idea. Uh, if you wanted to just do the marathon training for CIM this fall because you like it, because you enjoy marathon training, um, you could certainly do that. And then maybe at the end of it, you run a just a time trial for a, a half marathon. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you can still do some new or different things in your marathon training this fall that could just, you know, further set you up for success. You know, some of the marathon things that we talked about earlier, maybe running a little bit more mileage, being a little bit more uh, aggressive with your long runs, things like that. I think are going to be really beneficial for you. Just, you know, long-term, those things are going to help you. Okay. Uh, but in terms of whether or not to abandon this cycle in, in favor of a 5k or a 10k cycle, I could go both ways. I mean, it really depends on what interests you, what gets you excited to lace up your shoes and head out the door every day. Right. Well, I mean, you know, what interests me, I mean, in the short term is, 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 you know, getting that marathon PR um, or beating that 335 t- time. And so that's what I, I'm, I'm un, unsure of, um, you know, what is the best thing to do for that is to try to run a fast 5k or focus on that right now, rather than sticking with the CIM. And, and I realize, of course, that there are some, there's some similar things here in both of those um, plans. So it, it, you would probably, I'm guessing you'd say you really can't go too wrong here. Yeah, I don't think you can go too wrong. Uh, and, and if this is something that, you know, if you wanted to stick with the marathon cycle for the fall of 2020, you could essentially divvy up 2021 into three cycles. You could do, um, you know, after you recover from your CIM training, of course, you could maybe do a 5K cycle where, you know, it's all about speed. Your workouts are going to be very different than marathon training. Uh, you're going to be working at paces that you really don't touch very much during marathon work. And just hopefully, you know, run a bunch of either time trials, maybe there'll be real races and just race. See if you can get those times down. And then your next cycle, of course, recover a little bit after the the 5k cycle. And then maybe sometime in the spring, you really focus on the half marathon. And then, you know, it all just repeats itself. Now the goal is the half, you're going to do a little bit more mileage, focus a little bit more on the long run, the workouts will be a little bit more aerobic, 
but the goal is still the same. Run as fast as you can at the half marathon distance. It'd probably be a good idea to include a couple tune-up races, whether those are 5K, 10K distances, something along those lines, or you you could even run two half marathons. It's not really like the marathon where you put all your eggs in one basket and then simply, you know, you see how it works out on race day. You can't really run two marathons within a couple weeks, but you can with the half marathon. So that'd be a good opportunity to, you know, simply give yourself a couple times to improve upon your half marathon time. Okay. Once you recover from that cycle, sometime in the summer, then you can transition to your marathon training for the fall. And I mean, I like this because we're kind of starting with speed and then transitioning to distance. Right. And the other thing that we're doing too is that we're prioritizing running a marathon in the fall. It's generally cooler during marathon season in the fall rather than the spring where, you know, it just might be warm. Um, you know, if it's April or May, you, you might run into some warm temperatures and, and in a race like the marathon, that's going to slow you down a lot. So we're taking advantage of the seasons as well. Uh, like is, that, is that kind of a schedule interesting to you, Rose? Yes, that sounds wonderful. Perfect. Yeah, that kind of gives you like an on-ramp to the final goal. Yeah, yeah. I like the way that that builds. Yeah, I think that would give you a really nice uh, progression of training towards that marathon. And, um, you know, of course, you know, you, you want to be as strategic as you can. If we're talking about running faster than you ever have before, you know, we want to leave no stone unturned. So part of that is, you know, the training cycles that you do before your marathon cycle. Part of that is just having a great marathon training season. And then we also should talk about, you know, running a marathon during a season where it's going to be cooler, Uh, choosing a race that is a flat and fast course that doesn't have a lot of turns, especially 180 degree turns, all those things really play into your, uh, your advantage when you go out there on the marathon race course. Right. And so f- for that, uh, CIM is, is a, is a good one. I'm, I'm assuming. CIM is a good one. Yeah. That is a, a flat and fast marathon. Usually the, the temperature, uh, is pretty good for marathon racing. You know, even if it gets up to about 55, 60 degrees, that could potentially be a little bit too warm. I know I really struggled at Boston when I, the last time I ran uh, a marathon because, you know, it, when I finished, I think it was like 62 degrees and oh. that really impacted me. So, yep. um, you know, try to find a race where the temperature is most likely, of course you can't control this, but most likely <laughs> somewhere in the 40 to 55 degree range. It was last year at CIM. It was perfect. It was really great weather. Yeah. And you're going to just have, you know, not a good performance, but you're just going to have more fun in those conditions because you're not out there suffering in the heat or dealing with biting cold winds. Yeah. Uh, Now, Rose, let's talk about your fueling. Were you really adamant about fueling well and enough during that 341 you ran last year? No. And that that has been a big struggle for me. And I think that's a stone um, that that what can be unturned or that I've, that has not been turned over in. And I've been really trying to work on that, um, this year. So I, I have a history, uh, background for whatever reason of, um, just really not knowing how to fuel myself. And I, you know, somehow early on, um, as part of my training, I got it in my head that 
I shouldn't need fuel. And and who knows where I got that idea or, you know, I have, you know, I don't know, but that is something that I have had to work hard to um, change. And uh, so I think during, during CIM last year, I had the most, um, uh, intake of carbohydrates that I ever have during in a race or run that distance, which I think I had like four or five, um, like, a um, stinger gels and that probably wasn't enough. And I also didn't, didn't practice that very well, um, during my, my long runs and in that training cycle, um, so the, the, the last few weeks before I started to think maybe I should pay attention and practice this and I started to, but I didn't do it enough. And, and so actually I've, I've been really influenced by the experts that you've brought onto your podcast and the resources that you have through strength running. And I have really been trying to change this recently. Um, I have been using um, gels uh, during my run, and um, and I think I'm starting to notice a difference. Like I, I really like the podcast you had on David Roche. I, I think it was, and and he he basically said, you know, give your body what it needs to adapt. And so I've been trying to do that. Yeah, oh, I love talking to David about that. Yeah, essentially creating the environment in which those adaptations can actually occur. And if you're Start for fuel, they can't happen. That's great from the training side, but then when you're actually running the race, yeah, you're right. I mean, if, if you had five gels, that that's pretty good during the race. I mean, I think the most widely accepted guidelines are, uh, I believe, 45 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour. So, you know, that does work out to be about two gels per hour if you space them out maybe every half an hour to help yourself digest them a little bit easier. Um, and that'll give you the fuel that you need. Of course, you want to load up on carbs a little bit in the one to two days beforehand where, you know, you just eat more carbs, eat uh, complex carbs, that kind of thing, so that you're really topped up with your carb stores and you're not, um, you know, in any way depleted either in your muscles or, or carbs that are in your bloodstream. Uh, you know, you, you want everything really topped up on marathon race day. And then, of course, refueling during the race is going to be a really important part of that. Um, and if it's something that you haven't actually done pretty well at in the past, this is a pretty big area for improvement. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that your 341 at CIM last year, you had a negative split. And I think the gels gave you the fuel to actually do that. And if you were to practice it a little bit more during training if you were to dial it in just a little bit more and get more comfortable with it, find out what works for you a little bit more, I think you could potentially recreate that kind of scenario, but just at a, another level where, you know, you get to the 20 mile mark and you're, you're much faster at that point, And then you can still pick up the pace and close even faster. So fueling is going to be critical, but it sounds like you're on that, that road to figuring it out, which is key. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to, I, I, I just got like a, a running journal where I'm trying to log this. Like, I don't, you know, I don't want to be obsessive, but I also, I'm a scientist and, and I'm very um, interested in just trying to um, pay attention and, and observe and see what works. Right. And in our email uh, correspondence back and forth, when we were setting up this call, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you're a professor and you do research in the Arctic. Um, I do. <laughs> which yeah. I think is amazing. I almost never get to talk to someone who does cool stuff like this. 
<laughs> Can we take a one minute detour? What do you do in the Arctic? So, yeah, I study uh, how the Arctic is responding to climate change and how that response of the Arctic is going to feed back to influence climate change everywhere on Earth. So, um, I mean, so what that means really is I'm a chemist. I look at processes that are happening in, in the, the soils, the streams and the lakes in the Arctic to understand what's happening. So you're likely more concerned than I am about the melting from a crop in Greenland? Yes, that's right. Yes, I am very concerned about the permafrost. Yep. Okay. Well, let's get back to running because that's that's kind of <laughs> yeah. That's how I deal with my time. concern. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, your your fueling is is so important. Uh, but you know, again, you're kind of figuring that out. So that's good. I would just encourage you to keep experimenting, practice it on your long runs when you're getting ready for the marathon and. And you'll likely, you know, do even better than you did last year. Now, the last thing I want to chat with you about, Rose, is pacing. Now, I think it's amazing that you negative split that last marathon. But at the same time, it's one of those things where you might have left a little bit of uh, uh, speed on the table. Right. Um, Give me an idea of what that negative split looked like. Because, you know, if you ran, um, Let's see. Let's do a let's do some some quick math right now. If you ran 341 in the marathon, that works out to be an average mile pace of 826. So, you know, give us a ballpark figure for like what the first 20 miles looked like and then what the last 10k looked like in terms of pacing. Yeah, actually I'm trying to pull that up right now, but I think even some some of those last miles I had were um uh maybe even, yeah, here we go. Um, less than eight minute pace. So, um, okay. So I do have my times here. So, uh, so mile 25, I did a seven fifty two. um, <laughs> mile wow. 24, 8, 14, 23, 806, 22, 807. So, um, and then, yeah, looking at the first, um, you know, 10 miles, I was around 841, 830, 825, 833, 839, somewhere in there. Does that help? Yeah, that helps a lot. So yeah, I mean, you just had an awesome negative split. If you know, someone was tracking you mile by mile, they'd be like jumping up and down, pumping their fist. It was just an, <laughs> it would be a great performance to watch. Um, I do think you'd probably be a little better served with more even pacing. Um, okay. so if you're trying to run 335 your next time around at the marathon distance instead of averaging 826 a mile now you're now you're trying to average 812 so you might still want to go out a little bit slower you know somewhere in the 815 820 range but you know after a couple miles that help you warm up you you really want to get down right around that pace uh as consistently as you can you know just like a metronome just clocking off those eight, 12 miles or as close as you can as consistently as possible. But your mindset shouldn't change at all once you get beyond the 20 mile mark. If you're feeling even halfway decent, now's the time to try to pick up the pace and negative split it from there, even if you're right on pace, because you never know what's going to happen a mile or two from the finish. And while I generally never tell runners to bank time in a marathon, especially in the first half, you can start doing that when you you know have five or six miles left to go. And I think that kind of a pacing approach will uh, put you in a better position 
earlier in the race because you're just going to be uh, at a faster time point at the 20 mile mark. Um, but you know, I think it's just more in line with what you're physically capable of and you'll still, you should still be able to have a, a pretty decent kick over the last couple miles. It might not be as dramatic. Okay. It shouldn't be, but right. I think it will result in a faster overall time, which is exactly what you want. Right. I see. I see what you're saying. So, so not have such a dramatic difference between the two. Yeah. Generally speaking, the longer the race the more even pacing that you really want. Uh, You can take more chances with going out really fast, the shorter the race, because there just isn't as much opportunity to hit that wall and just completely fall apart. You know, you go too fast in a marathon, you could have 12 miles of of awful suffering and of you just melting out there on the course. Whereas if you did that in a mile, you know, you're only going to be out there suffering for a very short period of time. Uh, so you can come back from that. It's much harder in the marathon. And I think, um, you know, it was a long time ago. I don't have any data, but I do remember for my Boston time, I was very consistent, like right on eight twelfths um, the, the whole way through. Yeah. And that's great with Boston because the terrain is so varied and changing over the course of the race that it's pretty hard to do that. And when I ran it in 2014, I struggled a lot with the pacing. I think my second or third mile was 25 seconds faster than my PR marathon wow. pace. So <laughs> wow. I, I regretted that. And that came back. To <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, Rose, I, I, I had a great time chatting with you today because I think, uh, you know, it's always great when I talk to someone who has a plan in place and we just need to tweak some things around the edges so uh, I'm so glad that we we're able to kind of talk through a, a big picture plan for you over the next, potentially over the next year. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to chat about? Um, no, I don't think so. I, 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 I got all the information that I wanted and, and it's, it, yeah, it is really helpful. And I've learned um, when you've done these calls with other people. So I, I hope that this can be helpful too for, for some, for other people. Oh, for sure. I mean, you're a you're a professor. You know that other students asking questions helps the exactly. other exactly. Exactly, <laughs> that's so it's true. One of those similar situations, um, right? And, and I would like to acknowledge you, Rose. You have been such an integral, wonderful member of our team strength running group. I really appreciate your feedback in our community and the way that you interact with our members. So I just want to say thank you for being such a great member. You make the team better. Oh, thank you. That's really nice to hear. Well, I love the community you've created. It's very positive and very encouraging, um, which is perhaps more important now than ever. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's what runners need right now. We need to connect. We need more community. We need to to hang out with each other, even if it's virtually, because, you know, let's make this community as good as it can be right now so that when we get on the other side of covid you know, the running community will still be there, it will be vibrant, and we'll still have all the support we need to accomplish our goals. I really do believe that. And and I do think the running community has stepped up. I think we have been doing just great over the last six, seven months or so. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a testament to all the runners out there who have just kept things going and supported local running stores and you know, downloaded new running podcasts and left reviews, you know, that, that all helps yep. as well. So <laughs> yep. there's, there's just so many great things happening. And uh, it's just great that we're all a part of it here. Agreed.
Well, Rose, thank you again for making some time. And I am so excited to see what comes out of this and to see how you improve and kind of move forward with your training over the next year or so. It's been exciting to watch you progress. And I think it's going to be even more exciting to see what you do in the future. Me too. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. Yeah. And thank you so much for the time. This is really great. Awesome, Rose. Take care. And there's our show for today, runners. I hope that you found this valuable and can apply it to your running. Because after all, runners are runners. And no matter what your goal might be, the avenues for improvement are the same for all of us. If you'd like to have a one-on-one conversation with me just like this about your running, then join Team Strength Running. These opportunities are reserved for team members, and I'd love to have you on the team as well. The only requirement I have is that you love running and want to get better. Don't forget to register soon to get an invite to next week's live event. Go to strengthrunning.com join to sign up. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Elemental Labs, for their support of this episode. They make electrolyte drinks for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, artificial ingredients, or colors. I've been having one of these pretty much every day for the last three months or so, and it's a great way for me to make sure that I'm drinking more water. It's tasty and delicious, and I can't wait to try their new Fiesta Pack that I just got. It includes mango chili, lemon habanero, and chocolate salt. Rumor has it that they work great in cocktails, but I don't actually know anything about that personally. Anyway, there's now mounting evidence that higher sodium intake levels than what is currently recommended from the FDA are not actually harmful, especially if you're an athlete who sweats a lot or has salty sweat. Now, of course, ask your doctor if you're worried, but for those athletes running outside, an electrolyte replacement makes a lot of sense. And I'm encouraged by the fact that Navy SEAL teams, Olympic teams, and pro athletes have started using elemental electrolyte supplements to improve their performance. Learn more about what they do and all of the different products they have at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And as always, if you'd like to reach out, you can send me a note at support at strengthrunning.com. Take care, and we'll be in touch soon.